Lord God, we pray that you would prepare our hearts as we open up your word uh, this morning and that your spirit would draw us together as one and would open up our hearts and our spirits and our minds to be able to receive what it is that you have for us in this story. Lord God, uh, I know the story of Samson that we're going to be diving into has just uh, spoken to me in so many ways. It still is. I couldn't even finish my sermon. There's just so much here. Um, But God, I know that you have some specific truths for us as we gather together this weekend. Things that will speak into the moment that we're living in and draw us deeper into your truth, knowing what your word tells us, that your truth will set us free. God, I pray that that would happen. And um, Lord, it is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, today is our our final Sunday in our series, Summer Stories. We've been going through some of the most well-known stories in the Old Testament each and every week and listening to how God might be speaking to us through them. Um, Instead of reading through a a particular part of the passage this morning, uh, we're going to be getting into the story of Samson, and uh, I'll read some passages throughout telling the story. Um, But if you want to follow along in your Bibles, I want to encourage you to join us in Judges, and it's going to be from chapters 13 all the way through 16. We'll be jumping through each and every one of those. Judges 13 through 16. Um, While you're looking that up, if you missed last week, we were blessed to have Pastor Jake Taxis with us, and he gave a really good and, and just deeply encouraging message in the book of Daniel, and um, he also shared an illustration from the movie Napoleon Dynamite, which I loved when that movie came out, but I never realized the deeper meaning until Pastor Jake mentioned it, so if you missed that, go online, watch the service, or listen to the podcast and check it out. Uh, But again, this Sunday is our last Sunday, and we are ending with what is probably the closest thing to the biblical mashup of the Hulk and Fabio. <laughs> Just kind of picture that in your head for a minute. It's the story of Samson. He was strong. He had long, wavy hair. See, I'm doing this, and that's the best I can do. You're going to have to use your imaginations. But see, as perfect as that sounds, Samson was actually far from perfect. And as I read the story of Samson through this week, as I said before, I I had a difficult time just narrowing down what truth to, to dive into, but I couldn't help but notice a subtle question throughout the whole thing. And the question is, what is a hero? What is a hero? And so I want to ask you, how would you do that? How would you define a hero. If you're online joining us and you can comment, I encourage you to do that. Share with others. How would you define a hero? Uh, for some of us, we probably would define a hero as a superhero with superpowers, right? Like Superman or Spider-Man or, or maybe it's somebody that you look up to, a celebrity or an athlete. I, I just finished watching the ESPN documentary, The Last Dance, it tells the, the story of the height of, of Michael Jordan and his career. And I grew up at the height of his career, and I loved basketball, so I could safely say that at that moment in my life, he was definitely my hero. Uh, but maybe for you, maybe a hero is somebody who's closer to home. Maybe it's uh, a parent or a teacher. Uh, the story of Samson, as you look at it, has the elements of probably any kind of example of a hero that you can think of, 
But it also has the dark side to our heroes, which made me wonder throughout the whole thing, what kind of heroes do we really want? What is a hero? Uh, But to ask that question, you've got to know the story of Samson. So if you don't know the story, again, it's one of the most well-known stories in the Old Testament. At least parts of the story are very well-known. Little background, it comes at the time in Israel's history past the story of Exodus. It's after Moses. It's after Joshua. And it's while they are living in this land that is known as the promised land or Canaan. Now, God gave them this land, and he gave them instructions that there were people that were evil that were living in it, and that they were to live apart from those people. They were to take over the land, and they were to be separated from them because God was going to teach them how to be a holy people that would draw all people back to God. Well, we know if you know anything about the story that that didn't go well, and it didn't go the way God intended. I introduced a few weeks ago when we talked about David, uh, their enemies who are known as the Philistines. And in this chapter of the story, the Philistines aren't just still living in this particular place, but this place that is supposed to be Israel's is led by them, and they are leading over Israel. And Israel is more or less even just content with this whole thing as long as they don't rock the boat, which is not the way God planned for them to live. This is supposed to be their land. They're supposed to be with their people. And their people are God's chosen people for the hope of the world. But see, at this point in the story, these people have not been faithful. And so God is trying to course correct them by bringing and raising up these people called judges to help set his people back on the straight and narrow. And one of those judges is named Samson. Now, if you go to the book of Judges chapter 13, you'll read the story of how Samson was born. He was born to a couple named uh, Manoah and his wife. And they had never been able to have any children. And an angel of the Lord comes to Manoah's wife and later to him and says that they're going to have a child. And that this child is going to be a son and that he's going to be set apart for the Lord's work. Now, if you know any of the hero stories of the Bible, you've got all the ingredients in the story of Samson. You've got divine intervention at conception. You've got a messenger from God that speaks, and then he disappears into a flame. And and you've got to wonder then, so where else have I heard this story? Well, it's the story of Abraham, right? Abraham and Sarah, they couldn't have children either. And God told them that he would bring a child that would eventually create the nation of Israel from his descendants and bring hope to the world. It's also the same story that you hear in the Gospels, right? An angel came to Mary and later to Joseph to tell them that their son, Jesus, would be set apart as the Savior of the world. And so it's, it's a pretty neat thing that Samson is brought into the world in a similar way. He's born to parents who are faithful to God, and they set him apart to be used for God's work. And the Spirit grows in him until he is a grown man. But see, that's where things start to get interesting. And so we're going to jump into that in Judges chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Samson went down to uh, Dimna and saw, I'm sorry, Timna, and saw that there was a young Philistine woman there 
when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Come get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Now remember, these are their enemies, and it's bad enough that their people are being ruled by them, but then to go and marry one as a man that's set apart for God's work? That's why the parents are so concerned. But it says, Samson said to his father, get her for me. She is the right one for me. Samson sounds pretty young at this point. If I could guess, he's probably still maybe even a teenager. But verse 4 says his parents didn't know that this was all from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. Now, I had to stop at that particular moment in the story this week. I actually mowed the lawn. I listened to some other sermons. I did some research just thinking about this because here's the thing. Samson has been set apart by God for his work, and yet in this moment, he's being controlled by his hormones. He sees this woman. He tells his parents, I want her, which wasn't totally outside the context of culture that particular day, but this was not someone that a man set apart by God should be marrying, especially a man like Samson. And yet verse 4 says, that God knew that it was going to happen all along and was actually looking for an opportunity to confront the Philistines. And I thought, how can this be that on one hand, God's chosen one is doing what God doesn't want him to do, and on the other hand, God is working through the whole thing. And then if you think about it, and if you look hard enough, you'll see that that's where the hope is. That's where the truth is. That's the hope that's going to be present throughout all of Samson's very broken life. It's the hope that God's purposes prevail when we are faithful and when we are not. God's purposes prevail when we are faithful and when we are not. Notice that God never says that somehow Samson is exempt from his rules. But see, God is also sovereign and he knows He knows that Samson is going to do this, and he has figured out a way to use Samson, even in spite of his weaknesses, even in the midst of them, for God's ultimate purpose. And isn't that hope? Isn't that hope for any of us who have allowed our hormones or our greed or our pride or our sin to control us? God can bring good out of anything. And so, great, let's end the sermon. Let's all go sin, right? No, not so fast. I think Paul said something about that in Romans, right? See, God's purposes might prevail if you're not faithful, but what you'll see in the rest of the story of Samson is that while God is always faithful, we will create a ton of collateral damage to ourselves and to the people around us when we're not. You, you've seen this play out in your own life, right? I mean, on one hand, we, we can have epic failures in our life that teach us incredible lessons, right? Like you could get a, a DUI and, and God uses that experience to, to hit rock bottom with you and it changes you. You can make a mistake in your marriage and it can actually turn your marriage around. You can get fired from a job and it could be an opportunity for God to show you in the next job how to be successful and that he's gonna take care of you no matter what. But see, 
in all of those scenarios, and we've all probably learned lessons like those, it doesn't mean that those situations don't hurt. They hurt. They hurt you and they hurt others. And nobody who hits rock bottom in any part of their life would ever say, yeah, I want to go back there. Of course not. Yet the tragedy of Samson's story, what you'll find is that over time and time again, he does go back there. He does not learn the lesson. He ends up marrying this woman that he wants in this town, this Philistine. And of course, she's used by her fellow Philistines to trap Samson. And he prevails, kills a whole bunch of people. And for the next 20 years, he brutally rules over the Philistines, taking revenge for what it is that they did to him through that woman. For 20 years, if you read through the next few chapters, Samson becomes the hero that every hero movie is made of. He kills a lion with his bare hands and then later walks by the carcass and pulls out honey out of a, a, a swarm of bees that are within it. He, he ties 300 foxes' tails together and then with torches uses them to destroy the Philistines' grain and their fields. He kills a 1,000 Philistines with a donkey's jawbone. But it's at that moment in the story where we see that while he's able to do all of these incredible things, he still has weakness. Take a look at Judges chapter 15, verse 18. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you have given your servant this great victory, but must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? This strong, mighty warrior still needs water to survive. God gives it to him, but then in verse 16, he's back right where his troubles began. He's in the arms of another Philistine woman, and then again, men try to trap him while he's there, and then he escapes, and then he falls in love with yet another Philistine woman. This time, her name is Delilah, and you probably know, if you know anything about Samson, you know Samson and Delilah, and this time, he's not going to escape. She asks him how he can be so strong and is there any way that he could possibly be restrained and over and over again he gives her answers that are ultimately lies and and every time she calls in the Philistines and says, oh no, the Philistines are upon you and he's able to break free and he's able to attack and he's able to defend himself. But at the very end, he finally breaks down. And this is the the biggest passage that I want to read to you as as we conclude the story. Verse 17 He tells Delilah everything. He says, no razor has ever been used on my head. See, I am a Nazarite. I am dedicated to God and have been from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become as weak as every other man. When Delilah saw this, that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines and said, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called Samson. The Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep, and he thought, I'll go out before, just as before, and I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, and they gouged out his eyes, and they took him down to Gaza. 
binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Let's see, the story doesn't really get much better after that. His hair grows back a little bit, enough to give him some of his strength back. God's favor comes upon him in some fashion and form, but his story tragically ends when he uses his remaining strength to push down the pillars of a mighty temple where all the rulers of the Philistines were. It says in verse 30 of chapter 16, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And so he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it, and thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. And that's the story of Samson. And I haven't even read a bunch of it, right? There's so many lessons that we can learn, I think, in this particular moment, but I think for every moment of our life. And so so what do we learn from Samson? And specifically, what do we learn going back to the question that I feel is asked throughout all of these chapters? What is a hero? Well, the first thing that I want to point out is that on some level, we all want to either be a Samson or be led by a Samson. We all want to either be a Samson or be led by a Samson. I mean, look at him. He's, he's strong, right? He's smart. He can, he can grab a young lion and he can kill it with his bare hands. He's got hair, right? I mean, what more do you need? Maybe that's just the thing that, that appeals to me. I don't know. But he was also full of pride. He also has anger and revenge and At the end of the day, for all the killing he did and all the successful military might, Israel isn't left any better than they were before. And he led them for 20 years. They still ask the same questions of their next leaders and eventually of a king, which tells us something about the kind of heroes that we often desire. And that's that the heroes that we often desire with our hearts are not often the heroes that we really need. The heroes that we desire with our own hearts are, are not often the ones that we really need. See, see, the kind of hero that Samson was, it wasn't even working for Samson, and it didn't work for Israel, and it didn't work for David, and it didn't work for anybody. That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus would have to come because he would become the true Samson, the true judge, the true king, the true hero. But see, for Jesus, in order to gain a victory that would last, he would fight the battle with some very different weapons. Things like the armor of God or the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul puts it. Weapons called love and humility and grace and mercy and forgiveness and turning the other cheek and And what we learn, if you look at the whole story of Scripture, is that those weapons are far stronger than the weapons that Samson used to fight. And I'm probably losing some of you at that point. I'm losing myself, to be perfectly honest, because how can things like grace and forgiveness and love and mercy be stronger than hands that can kill a lion? doesn't make sense. But you know it's true. And you know how you know it's true? Because for me, and probably for you as well, it's a lot easier to be a Samson than it is to be like Jesus. 
It's a lot easier to be a Samson than it is to be like Jesus. I mean, I may not have his arms, and I certainly don't have his hair, but, but sometimes I have his temper. I can relate to his impulsiveness and his arrogance and his pride. And, and for the qualities of Samson that, that I don't see in myself, sometimes it's not that I don't want them, it's that I then decide to look for them in the people around me, or I look for them in others. And and it started out in the playground. It probably was the same for you. We've all had that argument as kids, right? My dad can beat up your dad. My dad is like Samson. No, my dad is like Samson. No, my dad. And, and if you're not the biggest kid on the block as you get older, we all know that the next best thing is to be the friend of the biggest kid on the block. See, we want our heroes to come in and destroy our enemies. And far too often, we don't really care how they get it done. And we don't grow out of this when we become adults. What ends up happening is we just transfer it to others. We, I mean, just just look, right? Like we're in an election year, right? And how many of us are going to project these kind of hero qualities and hopes on whichever political candidate that looks more to us like a Samson? And, And don't try to read into that. I'm not talking about any specific candidate or even any particular race. I'm talking about what we look for when we consider to be someone to be our hero. What do we look for in a hero? How do we define a hero that really is truly a hero? Do we look for pride Or do we look for humility? Do we look for their ability to cause destruction? Or do we look for inner peace? Do we look for somebody who lays down the lives of all of our enemies? Or do we look down to the one who lays down their own life for us? And so what I want to leave you with in the story of Samson is the question, what kind of hero do you want? And what kind of hero do you want to be for the people in your life, right? It's a lot easier to be a Samson. You may even be successful doing that for a time. It's why we want our heroes to live this way. Israel wanted their heroes to be this way. But that way of life comes at a heavy price. Samson's story shows us that while God will still use you, in the end, it will also kill you. Samson makes a great, mighty warrior. There's no question about that. But there's also no question that Samson would make a pretty lousy husband or father or even friend. But see, if you want to be a hero like Jesus, what ends up happening is you'll lay your life down just like him. But the promise, when you lay your life down for others, not for your own pride and not to seek revenge, When you lay down your life, the promise is that when you do that, Jesus did it first, and God will become your hero because he will lift you up. Jesus' brother James said so much in James 4.10. He said, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's our hope. And so would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the perfect image of what a real hero is. It's you. And Lord God, the the reality is that as we look at the example of Samson and we look at the example of your son, Jesus, we know that on, 
on this level, on this side of heaven, we're never going to achieve either one. I don't know anybody who is, is powerful enough and strong enough to be able to strangle a lion or tie the, the tails of foxes together or, or kill thousands of men with the jawbone of a donkey. So chances are none of us are going to be as strong as Samson, even if we try to use those heroic gifts. And we all know too well that we'll never live up to the perfect perfection of Jesus either. But see, that's the hope, because in Jesus, and through his spirit, your, your spirit was the one that gave Samson his strength, and, and, and your word tells us that it's the same spirit that lives inside of us and gives us strength to use the fruit of the spirit and, and the armor of God and the, the things that you've given us that, that have lasting change, love and peace and forgiveness. That we can go into relationships and we can use forgiveness. We can forgive other people and truly do so because we too know that we have been forgiven by you. And we can lay down our life and give grace and mercy to the people around us because we know that you have extended grace and mercy to us. And we can know that no matter what comes up against us, we have a hero in heaven who is interceding for us and preparing a place for us and promising to be with us until that day comes when he takes us home to be with him. And that hero's name is Jesus. And so... In your name, Jesus, may we look like you. May we strive to be heroes in your name who follow your way. And God, may we look for that in the heroes of others. It is in Jesus' name that we pray all these things.